Matthew chapter 21, when you're ready, say, I'm ready. Here reads the word of the Lord. It says, Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey. Someone say donkey. Someone say donkey. Yeah, you know who said donkey. One of our pastors back east, Uncle Mike, uh, Pastor Mike, he always says donkey. I'm like, donkey? He's like, not donkey. I'm like, okay. Uh, you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. I love this. Your king is coming to you. Lowly, sitting on a donkey. Your king is coming to you. I don't know if you thought today when you came to church that you were coming to your king, but the reality is your king has already come to you. And the gospel is not what you can do for God, but it's what he's already done for you. And so if you're tense this morning, you feel pressure, just you can breathe. I'm not going to give you a bunch of stuff to do. I'm first going to tell you what he's done, why that changes everything. Look one more time at verse two, and then I'll pray and we'll start. It says this, say to them, go into the village opposite of you. I never saw this before, but this is the title of my message this morning. I want to talk to you uh, from the thought into the village. I want to talk to you about going into the village. Let's pray. God, help us in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. No time for a long prayer. We'll start singing again and all that stuff. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I grew up on the East Coast. I was originally born in uh, St. Charles, Illinois, lived in Illinois for two years, moved to New York City for five years, and then for the majority of my childhood, the first couple uh, years before we moved to California, I lived in a town called Rahway, New Jersey, and uh, lived in New Jersey, and we lived in this small little neighborhood on Bryant Street, and I remember as I was in elementary school and was growing up, we were meeting all our neighbors. You ever meet your neighbors before? Anybody? No, just me? Okay. I'm just making sure. Like, you ever live in a place and you never meet your neighbors, but over time you kind of develop like this like head nod relationship? Like, you see them and you just, you know, and then like five years later, it's like, how are you? You know, just this awkward stuff. So as we're going up, we, we met all our neighbors and there was this woman that lived across the street from us and her name was Miss Pat. And Miss Pat had uh, lost her husband several years ago. She was probably in her late 60s. And, and she used to babysit for a living. Like she had like a daycare in her house. And she would have anywhere from like 10 to 25 kids over her house all the time. Now, I didn't need a babysitter, but I needed friends. And so I used to just go over to Miss Pat's house and, and just kind of go and, and hang out over there. And, and my mom one time was like, you know, why are you always going over to Miss Pat's house? And I was like, well, you know, she has a Nintendo 64. That's why I'm going. <laughs> And well, 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 what, you know, what else? And Miss Pat had double stuffed Oreos. We didn't have the double stuffed Oreos. We had the normal Oreos. And so I would go over and just raid the pantry, would just be eating all the food, playing video games, you know, all this stuff. And every time that I would go over there, I would meet other kids because it was a daycare. And so there was just different kids coming in from different parts of our city. And, and, and I just never forget how different all these kids were to me. I had grown up in a predominantly white neighborhood, never met anybody. It was just me and my friends and all this stuff. And over time, I began to meet all these different kids. And, and, and there was Asian kids that came. And there was African-American kids that came. And there was Hispanic kids that came. I don't even know that there were Hispanics in New Jersey. You know what I mean? But like I was meeting, I'm like, this is crazy. And over time, I started to like have friends with all these different kinds 
of kids. And it started with, I want to go talk to my neighbor. It started with, I want to go meet somebody. And there's a pressing issue in our world today that there is a lot of diversity that is no longer celebrated. There is an issue that we cannot ignore, that we are so quick to judge and assess somebody by what they look like. Like, how do you think of people that are different than you? If we're honest, the first thought we have is always not the best thought. And we know that being Christians, this is not God's intention. We know that from the beginning, God never intended for us to see people differently the way we do today. But because of sin and because our world has fallen and because we're waiting for this future hope, it's natural that we see things and we assess them differently. I'm reading in this story on Palm Sunday and I wanted to preach a message where Jesus comes in on the donkey and everyone, the donkey and everyone lays down the palms and and just this classic Palm Sunday message. But like six weeks ago, I read this text and all I could see was verse two where it says, go into the village opposite of you. Now, it's a play on words, of course, but he didn't say go into the village that you've already been. He didn't say go around the people that look like you. He didn't say go around the people that clap like you and shout like you. Don't go to the church that you always go. No, he says go to the place opposite of you. Now, we know he's talking about on the other side of the road. But something deep down in my soul said, are we going to the people that are different than us? Or are we saying, well, they stay there and we stay here and let's just have our little community here at South Bay Campus and, and all this stuff. A couple of weeks ago, I went and met uh, with one of the pastors in, a, in a, one of the bigger churches here in South Bay and, and just sat down with them and, and just asking them all these questions. I'm like, how do you guys do church? How long have you been here? What do you have a burden for this community and all this stuff? And we got ready to leave. I'm like, I just reached across the table, like grabbed him. I'm like, can you pray for me? And he, he's like, sure, yeah, I can pray for you. I'm like, I just... Like our church in South Africa, we need prayer just as much as we want to pray for you. And we prayed, and, and, and he's taken me next week to go meet with more South Bay pastors. And just something in my heart is saying, like, the church has to stop being so internally minded. And like, yes, we have an awesome community here at Destiny. Yes, we have an amazing worship. Yes, we got all this great three campuses and all these things going on. But at the same time, one day we're going to get upstairs, and there's not going to be a cross equals X up there. One day we're going to get there and it's not going to be like, what church are you from? What church are you from? Where did you? No, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be one church looking at one God that did what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so, I mean, just, you know, I was a youth pastor for six years. And so I could always preach controversial messages. And I would, it was just, that's what kids wanted. They were like, oh my gosh. Like, I remember we used to, we did a series once called Influence. I had been a youth pastor for one year. We did a series called Influence. And I said, I'm going to preach about being under the influence of the Holy Spirit and all that stuff, right? And then like every week I preached about a different influence. I was like, you know, one week I'm gonna talk about partying and how partying leads to nothingness. And then one week I like talked about weed and I was like, I'm gonna talk about, you know, the most high. And I, and I just remember telling the kids, go, go tell your friends, your pastor's gonna talk about weed. I mean, no, we had like 300 kids show up like waiting to hear something. But I was reading this text and I was brought to this verse that You should go into the village opposite you. And every day God calls us into villages in our lives. He calls us into relationships with people. He calls us into talking to people that we would otherwise otherwise pass by. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says this, speaking of God, it says he administers justice for the fatherless. Just to give you an idea of who God is. Like if you're here and you're like, ah, you know, God is the reason for war and he's the reason for this and all that. No, that wasn't God. That was the people that handle God. Okay, you ever go to a bad restaurant? It's never the food's fault that it didn't taste good. It's the person that cooked the food. Just leave that there. So watch this. Watch this. 
this is God, he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow. And he what? He loves the what? The stranger. God loves the one that is not used to church. God loves the one that doesn't understand organized religion. God loves the one that is so far from a community. He loves them so much he wants to bring them into it. Okay? And it says this, giving him food and clothing. We could break that down. Food, nourishment for his soul, clothing, a covering over his life. You could break all that stuff down. Verse 19. Therefore, since God loves the stranger, we are commanded to love the stranger. Because we were once strangers in the land of Egypt. God says, be very careful how you assess others because you will often forget that one day someone assessed you. C.S. Lewis used to say, there is no such thing as a Christian that looks down on people because a Christian has come to realize that they were once at the lowest of the low. And so a Christian can't look down on somebody because then that assumes that they are higher than them. A Christian is not able to look down because without God, they would never be brought up. It's sobering to think like this sometimes, but again, there's sin in us, and there's this inclination to say, well, they don't look like me, so I'm just going to assume that they don't get it. They're gonna, I just, you know, believe me, I, I've gotten to speak. I was at a Spanish church a couple weeks ago, and, and, and I got to speak at a Spanish church, and, and, and they just embraced me. I had a translator because mi espanol es muy malo, you know, <laughs> but like... They just embraced me a couple weeks before that. I was at an African-American church. One of our pastors knows somebody. He calls me. It was like 300 people, man. They, they said, do you want the organ up there while you're preaching? And I was like, the organ? I'm like, no, nah, I'll be fine. <laughs> Ten minutes later, that organ player came up and started. Dun, dun, dun. And I was like. <laughs> and I walked out of those moments celebrating diversity saying, thank God we're different. Thank God we're all unique. Because if we all looked the same, sounded the same, praised the Lord the same, it would get boring really fast. So when you come in contact with people that are opposite of you, how do you engage with them? Jesus shows us some things about the gospel in this particular passage that are so like profound, but yet so simple. He says a couple of things. First, he says the gospel welcomes all people. The good news about Jesus, it should welcome everybody. When I first came to church, I was like, why is everyone so happy here? I would walk through the doors. They'd be like, hey, strangers. You ever get a hug from a stranger and you don't know what to do? You're like. <laughs> like, they're like, hey, welcome. You're like, I don't know you. <laughs> but there is this hospitality that's on the word of God because God welcomed us. And so when someone, like in our church, if you see someone that's excited to welcome you, like they've been welcomed. So they can't help but welcome. So the gospel, no matter what, welcomes all people. Doesn't matter where they come from. Doesn't matter what they've been doing. We welcome them here. We want them here. If they don't come back, that's okay. We're going to welcome them. We're going to take every moment we can with somebody. Being a youth pastor, I learned you only have so many hours every year with a student. You only have so many moments with somebody because then they have school and then they're at parents. And, and side note, thank God they have parents. And so we, here at Destiny, we just we, if we have a moment with somebody, we're going to make the most of that moment. We're going to welcome them. The second thing that the gospel does is it accepts all people. It's the difference between welcoming somebody and accepting somebody. You can let somebody in, but in your heart still not really agree with them. Let me say this. There is a difference between accepting somebody and approving of somebody. 
Okay? You can accept somebody no matter what they're doing. But there are some things in Scripture we know about that if someone is doing something, we can't approve of what God doesn't approve of. We're not going to water down the message just to get people to like us. But we are going to accept them. They can come as they are. We used to do these huge events back in the desert. We'd have literally hundreds and hundreds of kids coming. They'd be getting high in the parking lots. They'd be getting in fights before church. People would come to me, Pastor Billy, they're fighting out in the parking lot. I'm like, really? I'm like, well, make sure they stay. And my team used to be so confused, like, okay. And they would go and say, you guys are to break it up, break it up. Now you're both going to church, right? Because we accept them. We want them to be there. We want them. We accept them as they are. And we love them to believe that they're not going to stay as they are. Okay? So we welcome. We accept. The third thing we do is we love all people. We love all people, whether they look like us or not. My wife and I, many of you know my story, um, being diagnosed with cancer when I was 21, got saved. And they've they've been telling me over the last couple years that we can't have children. And and, and I believe for miracles. Don't get me wrong. I I love when people are like, we're believing. You know, people lay hands on me every week. I love it. I believe it. Um, But we've come to understand that, one, you know, there's going to be no accident. So that's good. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's going to happen. If it happens, it's a miracle. Um, but secondly, we've really, we really believe that God's called us to adopt. We just believe that, like, if it doesn't happen by this time, we'll start the adoption process. And I struggled with this for a while. I remember, like, really, I was, we were at a staff retreat, and I was talking to, to one of our staff members, and I'm like, man, it's just, I don't know. Like, I understand adoption. I love it. And I just remember being like, you know, it's weird. And, and I went and sat in the hot tub. We were at this hotel, and there was this gentleman sitting next to me, and we were just talking and talking and and I was talking about, I just started venting to him. I'm like, maybe he's an angel, you know? Like, I'm like, you know, I just don't know. And, and he was talking about his kids. And he said something so interesting. He's like, you know, I just, I just, I love, you know, my kids. Like, they, you know, I love that they look like me, you know, and they have my traits. And I remember getting out of the hot tub and being like, man, I would really want my kid to look like me. I just feel like that's like a connection. And as I was walking around, I felt like the Holy Spirit. So I was like, it would be like, I felt like I told God, it'd be hard to love my child if they didn't look like me. I know it sounds shallow, but I'm being honest. Like it was a moment where I was like, and I felt the Holy Spirit whisper and say, you know, Billy, well, you don't always look like me. And I love you. And I had this moment from that moment on, I was like, we're adopting. You know what I mean? We're going to have 20 kids living in our house. But, but, but seriously, it was this moment where I felt the sense of love goes beyond appearance. Love goes beyond physical traits. Like, it was this moment with the Holy Spirit where I was like, man, I don't look anything like God sometimes. But yet he says, that's my son. What if the people out in your life that are eh, real skeptical about church just knew that God loves them? Like, we don't want to get them here so we can say, you better figure this out. We're like, hey, we're all trying to figure this out, but we're doing it together. And God loves us. So the gospel loves all people. And then lastly, fourth, God, the, God, uh, the gospel serves all people. We serve all people. Up, down, side to side, we serve all people. Bob Goff says this, most people need love and acceptance a lot more than they need advice. There's this, there's this inclination on us as Christians that we have to have the answer. And people come to us because we're Christians. And they will come to you because you're a Christian. But at the same time, they need love and acceptance before they need advice. They need to be cried with. They need to have uh, 
arms put around them. This week, my wife was getting all kinds of calls, and, and it wasn't about, you know, make sure you do this, make sure you ice this, make sure you do this. Like, the first call she got was like, are you okay? We're here for you. What do you need? What can we do? Like, you know, and then, then, and then a couple days go by, and then it's like, hey, are you icing? Are you doing this? All the advice came after the initial acceptance. Does that make sense? How many times as Christians are we so quick to say, well, if you really want to get saved, do this, or if you really want to be healthy, don't do this anymore, and don't do that, when sometimes they just want to know, can you accept me? Can you just welcome me? Can, can I just, can I be here? People aren't looking for cool church anymore. They're looking for real church, genuine, authentic church. Jesus says this, Mark chapter 16, you know this passage. It's the end of his ministry. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven. And he says this, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The gospel is not just do this, do this, do this. The gospel is news. It's news. It's, it's finished. It's happened. All we're telling people is, what happened? You know, I, I heard my wife on the phone uh, yesterday, and, and, you know, my pastors are calling, her family's calling, and she, she, she just was explaining the accident over and over again, like, this happened, and then, you know, this happened. And not once while she was on the phone did she say, hold on, let me check my notes real quick. Um, oh, it was a black car that hit me. Yeah, it was a black car. It wasn't, I thought it was a white car. I'm sorry. No, she never had to check her notes because she had experienced what happened. As followers of Jesus, don't worry if you don't know all this yet. Don't worry if you can't, uh, if you've never seen that before. All you've got to tell them is here's what happened. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. All I got to tell you is I don't know how it happened, but there is something bigger up there in control doing something. And so there's this understanding. When Jesus tells them to go into the the village opposite them, he's just saying, just go. And if they question you, just say, God has need of them. Just tell them, the Lord has need of them. Now, now look again at Mark 16. I want you to get this because I I feel pressure all the time when I'm ministering to people on the streets or evangelizing or like, you know, I'll be at a restaurant and just someone will walk in and I'll just feel like, man, I should pray for them. I just got to go pray for them. And and so many times I've felt like I should go pray for them and I don't because I'm afraid. And I don't want them to think I'm crazy. And I don't want them to think I'm weird. And I don't want them to be like, oh, no. Or, like, I'll be honest. I've prayed for people in wheelchairs, and they haven't got out of them. That's not a good look. Like, hey, I'm going to believe for you to get healed. And then you stand back, and they're like, you're like, oh. But it's real. He says this, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Notice how he says the response of the people is not up to you. You go proclaim I'll take care of the rest. You go invite, I'll make sure that they get there. You just love them, I'll let the transformation begin. See, there's this pressure, me sometimes, I'm like, if I do this, it better work. And I feel like the Lord is kind of like, no, it working is not on you. I'm looking for obedience. You just do it. Let me work out the rest. If you're taking notes, write this down. Their response is not my responsibility. Their response is not my responsibility. How they respond to an Easter invite is not your responsibility. It's not like you come back to church, you're like, Pastor Billy, they cussed me out. I'm sorry. It's not my fault. No, of course it's not your fault. It's not our responsibility to just love the, it's not our responsibility for how people respond to us. We just got to respond to them. Love them. Okay, Jesus, uh, in this passage, and and I'm going to give you four things real quick, and I'll wrap it up. In this passage, he shows us what this means. Like, 
This, this particular Palm Sunday passage, he, he gives us some things that I want you to write down that mean something for you. We've all heard the messages with the palm branches and, and people and Hosanna, Hosanna. And please, it, to this week, it's Holy Week. You should go back and, and look at that and read that and think about what that means to you. But I want to look just at this idea of going into the village opposite you, going to the people opposite of you. Um, a couple things that this means for me. Number one, I've been brought out to be sent back in. Jesus has brought me out of something so that one day I will be sent back into something. Jesus does not rescue you so that you could just kind of put your feet up and be on vacation. He, he rescues you so that one day you can go back and help rescue others. Make sense? You following me? So look at verse 1 and 2 again. It says, when they drew near to Jerusalem, uh, to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent them in. Notice it wasn't until they drew near that they got sent in. Now, if you're here and you're like, "Uh, not ready yet, it's not my thing, it's fine. We're not going to send you in if you haven't drawn near yet. Does that make sense? It wasn't until they got near that Jesus went, okay, y'all are ready. Now, let me send you in. He will never send you into something that he first hasn't prepared you for. Or he's going to prepare you as you go. Y'all have heard me talk about this before. You know the automatic doors and it's not until you get within the censor that they open up. Sometimes there are doors that we're sitting from a distance saying, I'll go once you open that. And God's saying, no, just start going and then I'll open it. We say, God, give me the power and then I'll go. God says, as you go, I'll give you the power. Well, give me the courage to invite them. Just invite them. The Bible says in that moment, he'll give you the words to say. So I've been brought out of something so I can be sent back into something. God has brought you out of something. He has rescued you from something. Not just so that you can come and just be happy and everything's good, but one day he will send you back in. And it'll be a moment that'll be nerve-wracking. It'll be a moment where you'll be like, oh, I don't know, I don't want them. But sometimes when you realize how good he is, you don't care about what people think of you. You start to realize time is short. We're not here much longer. I want to make the most of every moment. The second thing that this means for me is that I've been loosed to go loose others. Verse 2 says this, saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. My my life before I met Jesus, my parents raised me in church and and just, you know, they had a terrible falling out. My mom's a recovering addict. My dad was a workaholic and and just, it it just, they had me in church, but you, you ever like, it just doesn't match. Like you ever, like people are saying one thing, but you're like, I just don't don't see it. And so like for about 15 years, I just didn't go to church, like all through high school, you know, the beginning of my college, I just didn't go to church, didn't want anything to do with God. Just, I don't, why? It's not for me. It's not my thing. And I remember just getting involved in the party scene. I remember getting involved with like raves and doing a lot of drugs and just all kinds of crazy things. And and, and I, I remember one night coming home from a rave, falling asleep at the wheel, crashing into the median waking up, airbags off, and just, I I remember nights like that. I remember, like, not knowing who I was, and I remember when someone invited me to Destiny, and I remember walking in. The first time I went to Destiny, I'd been out the whole night before, was coming down off drugs, and I just thought, well, I might as well go to church. Maybe it was the drugs, or I don't know, you know, I mean, I was just like, I was like, maybe I'm just, I'm just going to go to church, and, and not one person came up to me and was like, what are you doing here? Not one person said, like, well, you don't look like us. And I remember they, 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 someone that I knew, the one that invited me, saw me, and he knew right away. And he says, let me, let me take you to pastor. 
in my mind, I'm nervous now. I'm like, Pastor, nah. And I remember sitting down in the back room and Pastor Lisette was there. She had just got off worship and she comes up to me. She's like, hi, how are you? Just starts loving on me. And I'm like, I'm like, hi, how are you? My name's Billy. I have a rough night. I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to be here. I don't know. And all this stuff. And, and, and Pastor Obed comes in and, and he just starts to affirm me and starts to tell me who I am. Wasn't telling me what I had done. Wasn't telling me where I'd come from. He said, bro, this isn't you. This isn't you. What are you looking for out there? Come on, this is, you're this, you're that, you're this. And there was this moment where I felt free. And that began the process at Destiny where I just started to get involved and started to hear from the Lord. And, and then when I faced cancer, went through the most difficult time of my life, I had people around me that I could hang on to. And I never forget that moment when Pastor basically said, this isn't you, and, and he untied me. See, when the disciples go into this village, I don't think they're just untying a donkey. Because I see myself in this donkey. I see myself tied to addiction, tied to insecurity, tied to suicidal thoughts, tied to all these issues. And then someone opposite of me came in and loosed me. See, you see the donkey, God sees you. Turn to someone and say, I'm a don't. No, don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> but do you understand what's happening? Because we were tied to something at one point. We were tied to something at one point. And someone came in there into your village, untied you, and says, no, you can be free now. That's what the good news is. Someone opposite of you came in and helped get you out. And so this Easter Sunday, believe me, I'm believing that people are coming because other people have gone in and helped untie them. And so I've been loose to go loose others. Number three, I've been given something to bring something. As I close this morning, I've been given something to bring something. I've been given something to bring something. You know when you come to church, you're actually bringing something. My mom used to sing that song, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the... Y'all know this. We're bringing something when we come before God. When we, when we do tithes and offerings, we're not just, hey, we need money, give it to us. What? This God's bill. He's going to pay it. You know what I mean? I'm not worried about that. But we're saying there's a joy that comes when you bring something to God. When you say, look, Dad, look what I brought you. This is for you. Man, this morning when I woke up, I didn't pray like I normally do this morning. Oh, Father, all I could just say is praise God, praise God, over and over. Praise God, praise God. All I got to thank you. I bring you my praise today. Bring you my thankfulness today. You ever just be on a gratitude kick where you're walking around and you're just thanking him for everything? You're walking around your house. Thank you for this house. Thank you for the breath in my lungs. Thank you for this table. I'll lay hands on my coffee machine. Thank you for this coffee. Thank you, God, that you've given me things. It seems small, but gratitude unlocks this understanding of who you are I've been given something yeah yeah we can clap for that I've been given something to bring something as a piano player joins me at this time look what it says in verse 35 now this is the same story but it's a different writer okay Luke chapter 19 the God the, the four gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John they're all pretty much writing about the same thing okay they're basically saying here's how I saw it if there was an accident in the middle of an intersection, each gospel writer is standing on one of the corners. And they're saying, I saw it from this angle. And then Matthew is like, well, I saw it from this angle. And then Luke is like, well, I saw it from this angle. So it's all four of them. He writes about the same story, and look what he says. Then they brought him, talking of the donkey, they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on the colt, 
and then they set Jesus on top of him. I want you to see this, okay? So they bring the donkey, and the disciples say, wait, Jesus, don't get on it yet. And they bring their clothes and put the clothes on the donkey, and then they put Jesus on top of it. <laughs> Let me do it again. Okay, they bring the donkey. Here's the donkey. Well, wait a second. We can't put Jesus on just the donkey. What do we got? I don't know. What should we put? Uh, let's put our clothes. Go grab that bin of clothes over there. Let's put the clothes. It'll be like a little saddle form. Here, let's bring the, here's our clothes. Here's our stuff. Let's put Jesus on top of it. Is Jesus on top of your stuff? Because there's times in my life where I want Jesus to be with my stuff. And I want him to be next to my stuff. And I, I, I see Jesus more as something that, you know, is just with me. No, friends, there's a moment in your walk with him where you start to go, well, he's actually on top of it. Like he's over all of it. One old preacher says it's not if he's, you know, he's not Lord of all if, if he's not Lord at all. Like if you don't have him as Lord at all, he can't be Lord of all. So it's like you have to let him be over it. They bring their clothes and they set it him on top and then they put him on top and then all of a sudden they start walking down the road and as they're coming into the city friends he's going to go into this city this will be the last time he comes in he's going to go into this city and he's going to vacate a couple nights he's going to be there and he'll go spend night in the wilderness and then he'll come back into Jerusalem and he'll go to Bethany on Wednesday we believe and and he'll go out there and and, and then he'll come back into the city and you know the story he's going to go into the temple when he gets there he's going to flip the tables upside down he's going to you know kick people this is I can't wait I gotta preach that story one time Jesus kicking people out of the temple I'm still trying to figure that out because we want we want the version of Jesus that best best fits us but there are versions of Jesus in there we overlook sometimes Jesus was upset that people were paying to get into church yeah, I got to think about that one. That'd be a good one because he flips tables over. And then over the next few days, he's going to prepare to be arrested and betrayed. But it starts with this moment where they put Jesus on top of their stuff. See, if Jesus can be on top of your life, what else can he do next? I've been given something to bring something. And then lastly, number four, I've been written into his story to let others into mine. I've been written into his story. Every time I open this book, I realize this is a story, okay? I hope you know this. The Bible is a story. It's the story of God. It's the story of a creator that has this plan, has this amazing look on life that all of us desperately need. He has a heart that most of us couldn't even have. It's this story about a father and a son and his spirit. And the three of them, they have this perfect communion. They have since eternity. God the Father's been loving God the Son. God the Son's been loving God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been glorifying God. It's this like divine dance going on since the beginning of time. The three of them just loving each other. And then it's like one day God looked over at himself and says, let us make man in our image. What is he saying? Like, we got a good thing going on here. We've got to bring someone else into this. And so he makes man. What does he do? He writes him into the story. He says, this is a great thing. Let's bring them into this. We read at the end of this passage, verse 4, it says, All this was done, this is the entry into Jerusalem, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Jesus came in on a donkey because he was just fulfilling what someone else had already said. He said, the story has to keep going. 
The story's got to keep going. It's got to keep going. It might be a bad chapter in your life right now, but don't put the story down because you serve a God that is into things coming back around. You serve a God that wrote himself into your story. Whoa, think about this for a second. There's a there's an old, uh, old, old English writer back in like the 1900s. Her name was Dorothy Sayers. And Dorothy Sayers used to write mystery novels. And she would write novels about a young uh, detective that went to school in Cambridge. And Dorothy Sayers had gone to school in Cambridge. And so she was kind of writing. And she had wrote like 15 of these novels. And one day one of her readers wrote her and says, I noticed that the character is always alone. Like, does she not have a love interest? And so Dorothy Sayers was kind of like, huh, this is interesting. Like maybe, maybe there should be a switch here. And so she writes a character into the story. She writes a character that is a woman that had been to Cambridge and that wrote detective novels. And so the detective in the story meets a writer who writes detective novels that went to Cambridge. What did she do? She saw that the man, the detective was lonely. And so she wrote herself into the story. Can I tell you that when God saw humanity, when he saw thousands and thousands of years of man trying to get to God, he looked at his son and he sent his son in the form of a child to be born through a virgin, to live 33 and a half years on earth so that one day that, that son could die for the people that God's love. Don't you see? God wrote himself into the story so that our ending could be better. 